Hi, this is Trish uh, here again with the award-winning book club for May. Um, our book this time is titled Less. The author is Sean, Andrew Sean Greer. And uh, this novel won the Pulitzer Prize in 2018. And we have here in the studio with us, with me, Abby. Say hi, Abby. Hi. <laughs> and on my left Cindy is... Johnson, volunteer coordinator for Recording Library of West Texas. And Becky Armour, volunteer. Um, and we're going to start off, this book was a Pulitzer Prize, and I did print out, Becky, if you would read it, that there's a thing, it's rather long, if you don't want to read the whole thing, that's fine, um, about the Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer. I thought it was Pulitzer. Well, in our book, he told us how to say it. Yeah, it was I, thought funny. He said he said P- I thought he said Pew. We'll have to find that part. <laughs> Pulitzer. I'm, li- I'm going to have to look at it yeah. right now. I'll read it as Pulitzer. Okay. okay. Pulitzer Prize for Fiction is one of the seven American Pulitzer Prizes that are annually awarded for letters, drama, and music. It recognizes distinguished fiction by an American author, preferably dealing with American life, published during the preceding calendar year. Prizes are awarded yearly in 21 categories. In 20 of the categories, each winner receives a certificate and $15,000 cash reward award raised from 10000 in 2017. The winner in the public service category of the journalism competition is awarded a gold medal. In the latter years of the 19th century, Joseph Pulitzer stood out as the very embodiment of American journalism. Hungarian-born, an intense, indomitable figure, Pulitzer was the most skillful of newspaper publishers, a passionate crusader against dishonest government, a fierce, hawk-like competitor, who did not shrink from sensationalism and circulation struggles, and a visionary who richly endowed his profession. His innovative New York, New York World and St. Louis Post-Dispatch reshaped newspaper journalism. Pulitzer was the first to call for the training of journalists at the university level in a school of journalism. The awards are made by the president of Columbia University on the recommendation of the Pulitzer Prize Board. This formulation is derived from the Pulitzer Will, which established Columbia as the seat of the administration of the prizes. In his will, Pulitzer bestowed an endowment on Columbia of $2 million for the establishment of a school of journalism, one-fourth of which was to be applied to prizes or scholarships for the encouragement of public service, public morals, American literature, and the advancement of education. The 19-member Pulitzer Prize Board convened semi-annually in the Joseph Pulitzer World Room at Columbia University's Pulitzer Hall. It comprises major editors, columnists, and media executives, in addition to six members drawn from the academia and the arts, including the president of Columbia University, the dean of the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, and the administrator of the prizes, who serves as the board's secretary. Members of the board and the juries are selected with close attention given to professional excellence and affiliation, as well as diversity in terms of gender, ethnic background, geographical distribution, and size of news organization. The current jury for fiction includes Nancy Pearl, author and retired librarian, Seattle, Washington, chair, Leah Hager-Cohen, 
Barrett Professor of Creative Writing, College of the Holy Cross, Elizabeth McCracken, James A. Michener Chair in Creative Writing, University of Texas, Austin. Three writers have won two prizes each in the fiction category, Booth Terrington, William Faulkner, and John Updike. As of 2012, the process for selection involves the submission of three finalists by the three-person fiction jury to the Pulitzer Board. The three novels on the list of finalists are not ranked, and the jury makes no recommendation to the board regarding which title is preferred, if any is. The board is free to select any of the three finalists or to ask the jury for a fourth finalist or to select any of the other eligible titles, though the board has not taken this last step when none of the finalists are chosen by the board for the award, as occurred in 2012, the board chose not to issue a Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Okay, so I did find it in the book. Robert says, it's not Pulitzer, it's Pulitzer. Okay, so this whole thing that I just read was mispronounced. I do remember they addressed it, Pulitzer, Pulitzer, so it's P-U. H. Yeah, and it's phonetically spelled out P U L L dash I T dash S I R. Pull it. Pull it, sir. Pull it. <laughs> well, should I go back and reread the whole thing? Please don't. Well, that's uh, a lot yeah. of information. I thought that it was rather interesting. Yeah, it was. But that was a lot of information about yeah. the Pulitzer Prize. Oh, Pulitzer. Oh. I've heard it both ways, though. Yeah. So, I, so I was thinking it was Pulitzer, so that's why I was like, oh, I've been mm-hmm. thinking it's that way all the time. Right. I guess he's Hungarian. He could, he, we could all be fooled. It could be the way that he, it's his name. Right. So, so we don't know. Somebody he, knows. He got to decide. So I guess he said it was Pulitzer. And we don't need oh. to feel bad. Our main character was an author, and he had been saying it wrong. So <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> we can say it wrong, too. <laughs> yeah. I actually like that conversation a lot, because that's when, cute. Well, anyway, we'll go back. We'll. We'll start again. So now the next thing we were going to read Sunday, um, I printed out the oh. bio about our author and then the book summary, if you want to okay. read Okay. Author bio. Andrew Sean Greer was born in November 1970 in Washington, D.C., the child of two scientists. He grew up in Rockville, Maryland. He is an identical twin. He graduated from Georgetown Day School and Brown University where he studied with Robert Coover and Edmund White and served as commencement speaker at his own graduation. After years in New York working as a chauffeur, television extra, and unsuccessful writer, he moved to Missoula, Montana, where he received a Master of Fine Arts degree from the University of Montana. He soon moved to Seattle, where he wrote for Nintendo and taught community college, then to San Francisco, where he began to publish in magazines such as Esquire, The Paris Review, and The New Yorker, before releasing a collection of his stories, How It Was For Me. The New York Times Book Review praised it, commenting that Greer's descriptive talents are immense. He lives in San Francisco and part-time in Italy. He is the author of six works of fiction. Book Description Who says you can't run away from your problems? You are a failed novelist about to turn 50. A wedding invitation arrives in the mail. Your boyfriend of the past nine years is engaged to someone else. You can't say yes, it would be too awkward, and you can't say no, it would look like defeat. On your desk are a series of invitations to half-baked literary events 
around the world. Question. How do you arrange to skip town? Answer. You accept them all. What would possibly go wrong? Arthur Less will almost fall in love in Paris, almost fall to his death in Berlin, barely escape to a Moroccan ski chalet from a Saharan sandstorm, accidentally book himself as the only writer in residence at a Christian retreat center in southern India, and encounter on a desert island in the Arabian Sea the last person on earth he wants to face. Somewhere in there he will turn fifty. Through it all, there is his first love, and there is his last, because despite all these mishaps, missteps, misunderstandings, and mistakes, less is above all a love story. Thank you very much. You're welcome. My pleasure. Uh, okay, so we're just going to jump right in. I printed off um, this time, uh, in addition to our normal questions, I did print off a few prepared questions, and this is these questions are from the um, New York Times, so they're way better questions than I would ever come up with. Um, so we'll start about the opening of the book. The novel's opening line reads, From where I sit, the story of Arthur Less is not so bad. Arthur Less, the book's protagonist, is introduced as nearly 50, which is a huge plot point. He's 49, and I understand how he feels because I'm 49 or about to be 49. Um, I'm with, your child. <laughs> <laughs> with washed out blonde hair and watery blue eyes. As we soon learn, he's also a writer, less successful than his peers. How do you see Arthur Less in the opening chapters? Do you see him as a hero, a man deserving as of our pity or something else? Go first, Becky. I didn't feel pity for him. I thought he was interesting. I thought he was kind of um, like eccentric, just kind of, kind of funny and kind of. Uh, I didn't. I just. I thought he was interesting. I didn't have strong opinions of him at the beginning of the book, but I did of the author. I thought the author described just. I could see him in my mind. Mm -hmm. He he did such a good job of describing him. Oh yeah. And how he moved, and how he looked, and what he had on, and so. Did he feel familiar to you, Cindy? Yeah, um, I could relate to him right away. Um, yeah, I think I've known people like him. He seemed very concerned with age, and that's the only thing that was... That is an understatement. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's not like he's 84. He's 49. He, but he was acting like he was... So he irritated uh, me in the beginning, mm -hmm. and that's probably because of my age. And I had to wait until about halfway through the book and then I started to m be more patient with him mm -hmm. but I think I was really irritated about his irritation with being 50 well, he was so self-absorbed yes Very. yes and I think most of his life he relied on his good looks that's how he yeah, attracted right. his I mean that was the most important thing to him is his good looks and it's difficult he was losing he felt like he was losing that and I think he was still probably very handsome he was used to being a pretty boy right yes. yeah well, I've heard that said that game that it's the same thing. Like women will say, mm -hmm. you know, we turn forty and we disappear from the world. Mm -hmm. We can walk down the street and and no one notices us, and yeah. that the same is probably true for gay men. Mm -hmm. Um, but or that that's how they feel. That was a a 
in a review that I read that that was a similarity. But, but I think that's everybody, too. But I was going to say heterosexual men are the same way. Same though. way they hate yeah. losing their looks and getting mm-hmm. old. Oh, yeah. And I think that's probably universal. Everybody feels I do. it. Yeah, At I least think in the So, in the so pretty, pretty boys don't become the older gay men then? And then... <laughs> Yeah, when yeah. younger gay men, Ma- change of life, midlife. I think he's having a major midlife crisis. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and I don't think he acts out in the ways that are, I guess, usual. He acts out a little bit unusually. Well, he's very flamboyant, so that's part of it. Yeah, he is, and he has lots of friends, and he likes. He's the good. Get dinner party guest, mm-hmm. he li- and he knows he is, and mm-hmm. um, sort of concerned with other other people's comfort, mm-hmm. and doesn't want to put the, I, uh, them out to a point. But then, his he's very uncomfortable with his discomfort, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's why he goes on his journey, which is um, representative, I guess. Of uh, well, he's a writer, and so. With his uh, people, somebody accuses him of, or his lover, his accuses him of writing that he's always constantly writing the gay Ulysses, <laughs> um, suffering, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, he's on a journey though, so he goes on the journey. When we at the beginning, he goes on the journey because he is in love, but his lover is ended it and is going to marry someone else um so he decides to go on a round the world trip which seems a bit absurd so the next question on the new york times thing is that um okay so the character of freddie is arthur less's former lover and his description is dreamy simple lusty bookish harmless youthful and it is Freddie's impending marriage or the invitation that comes in the mail um, that he is trying to avoid. So he's going to go on a round the world trip to avoid responding to an invitation, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of is an interesting way of dealing with that problem. <laughs> Maybe overkill. Um, so what do y'all think about that absurd idea of I'm just going to do everything I can to avoid well, having how respond. sad to have a round-the-world trip to avoid an invitation. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's just. But he's such an extrovert. He's at this crisis. So instead of locking himself in his room and crying, he's going out there meeting new people, having new adventures, and that's how he deals with it. He's, he's the most extreme extrovert. <laughs> yes, that he needs that to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then I can sort of understand that. I'm, I mean, I have the introvert-extrovert part of me, but it just seems... Like create like I'm gonna go on a round the world trip by myself. Is, right, that's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Was for me, I would though. stay home and say I'd, I'd say I was gonna go on a round. Well, the world that, trip. But you're an introvert, <laughs> yeah. and he's not. <laughs> Just not answer the phone. Yeah, I say, oh, I wish I could be there. I'm gonna be in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've always said that about my high school reunion. Uh-huh. Like, no, at the oh, 25th reunion, I was like, no, I want them to say Trisha's traveling. No, she can't be here. She's in France. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Not that I'm in Tatum, New Mexico. (laughs) But anyway, he's trying to save face a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then also, he doesn't have a lot of money. 
And so he puts this trip. That's the thing is the effort that he goes mm-hmm. to to put this trip together where he doesn't have to really pay for anything. But he had those piles of invitations that in his drawer that he just kept stuffing. So he had lots to choose from. So his itinerary is very interesting. So he starts out. He lives in San Francisco. He goes to New York. And that trip is paid for because he's going to interview a more popular writer. <laughs> then he flies from New York to Mexico City for a very obscure conference. I thought the Mexico part of the book, I was, I was a little bit frustrated with him there because I thought that, well, some of it was funny. Like his description of apparently it wasn't a very easy plane ride. I can't remember his exact description, but it's pretty bad. Um, but then he gets to Mexico, and then uh, the most significant thing that happens to him in Mexico is he gets the pills that will allow him to sleep on all the other flights <laughs> <laughs> that he is going around the world, so he needs some sleeping pills. So then he flies from Mexico City to um, Italy, to Tur- Turin. Did you say it, Turin? Or I think Turin. Turin. I think Turin. Turin for an unknown award, which actually that's really funny because it ends up being awarded by high school students. (laughs) (laughs) So it's definitely not the Pulitzer Pulitzer. But he did Um, win. (laughs) He did win. Yeah. And he wins, but they're like (laughs) 16-year-olds. Right. That are the committee. Um, Then he goes to Berlin and teaches for six weeks. Then he leaves Berlin, and he goes to Morocco for someone else's birthday. Um, and he had to pay for that one. That's the only one he had to pay yes, for. That that one, and then uh, I think he paid for the India one, too, because... Well, they offered the retreat to him. Right. Oh, that was Carlos, I guess? Uh, yes. Yes. Um, so I don't know if they paid for transportation or not. But but during the worst time of the year. Yes. Because it's... <laughs> It's like the worst time to go during the monsoon season. (laughs) You don't want to go to the beach, though. Um, And then Japan to write an article on food, which he's not a food reviewer. (laughs) And why he's in Japan for is just to write these articles. And it's about a certain style as a seven-course meal in Japan, which is very odd. That's not... Well, doesn't it seem like he's a very appealing person who's just working very hard to make himself just this huge loser? (laughs) He's appealing. He doesn't have to work that hard. He's fine as he is. He's a perfectly lovely person. He doesn't have to go to these extremes. Yeah, and suffer all these indignities. He's just fine as he is. Yes, and they are indignities, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, the high schoolers voting (laughs) on the award. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and then the... um, the the other part that I didn't like, but it's not it's not that I didn't like it. It's just that it's sort of a, a draggy part of the book is the is the Berlin part. But I think that's also that's kind of because Berlin is kind of a depressing place. But he met Bastion there. Yes, he didn't. He does make a <laughs> friend. Like, he does get a lover. He gets a good friend. Um, and those gays. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and I did of, think I'm it was like, interesting. Is he just gonna? Is he just gonna screw his way around the world? I thought but about didn't that. Didn't you love the point. class that he taught in Berlin? Yes. He where they'd cut up sentences and paste them together, and, yes. the, and the kids love the students loved his class. Yeah, his idea but for they, the class was, was great. He's really innovative. He's very mm-hmm, clever, mm-hmm. and w- it would be fun to take his course. Mm-hmm. And they white out things out of a story and then read it back. And, and it's then pretty the clever. whole thing about that that his he think this is me. I've done this indignity. 
He thinks he speaks German well enough to go teach a class to Germans, and then they just make fun of his German the whole time. So that is hilarious. There's so many funny parts. That is so funny. So I think my Spanish is not bad, and we and it's not bad in Mexico, but um, it's not great either. But then we went to Spain, and I actually had a cab driver tell my husband in English, "Your wife's Spanish is horrible." like a three-year-old child yes i was saying like we're going to the excitement oh yeah no that yeah. didn't make sense at all like no yeah, that is like that is like arthur until he spoke his german yeah so i kind of felt, that's when i started to kind of feel sorry for him because i but my gosh i was not trying to teach a class in spain i was just trying to find a but those students still learned something and they found sure. it very exciting so well, it worked well, i think the their way. english is everybody's english is better True. than ours that's the way David Bowie wrote some of his songs, by cutting up uh, oh, words uh-huh. and putting them together yeah. in different ways. I guess it makes you see things differently and mm-hmm. gives you a new perspective. Mm-hmm. That is fascinating because he because David Bowie is sort of a gay icon, so maybe he did there you get go. that idea yeah. from mm-hmm. Studying from David. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I thought that was all very interesting words. and um, I said interesting. I shouldn't say interesting. <laughs> Need to pull up a There's more interesting synonym words. Synonym chart. <laughs> check, check, check. Okay, so does his, uh, so the question, we, now we just finally got to the question of the New York Times. Does somewhere along the way on this trip, he will turn 50, but he doesn't tell us when or anything. He just, and anyway. Um, well, he tells us where he'll be though, right? Yes. Yeah. Does this trip remind you of any others in literature and of course the first one that comes to mind is homer and the odyssey which uh, is a recurring good. you know theme yeah. of literature but at around the world in was it 80 days <laughs> how many good. days was it 80 at well i can't believe he, and like the end he only spent three days in japan who flies mm-hmm. all that way to spend two nights basically well if you're desperate and heartbroken yes <laughs> and it's sort of a literary, th- a journey is always mm-hmm. metaphorical and real. So I like that. I like the journey part of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I might go, might go on a round world trip to avoid my 50th birthday. <laughs> or thinking about it. Y'all are such good rememberers. <laughs> well, I do oh. have the stuff right in front of me. So we met Freddie, the lover. And then the next person that he talks about in the book extensively, other than Bastion in Germany is the major relationship in his life, which was with a famous poet, Robert Brownburn. And... Um, I love that he said that your Spanish was terrible. <laughs> to, I'm so but, sorry. But that he didn't say it to me. <laughs> I know. I didn't he want to insult you. He said it to you. my husband. Like, it was so... Well, it was part of that. Like, Spain is very machismo culture, yeah, right? yeah. And I couldn't think of a word for something, and he just turned to Phil, and he said, your wife's Spanish is bad. <laughs> in English? Yes. In English. That so makes it even in worse. In English. And Philip was like, what? Oh, man. She, what did you do? Like, I was just sad. <laughs> I was like, at least I can order off a menu, find the bathroom, uh-huh. right? Great people. The important stuff. Yeah. And then Gracias. You can say thank you. And it was a real come down because the day before we were in waiting in line to go in the palace in Madrid. Uh And I was standing, we were standing there and a lady came up and she just started asking me all these questions in Spanish. She thought I was Spanish. We'll see. But I hadn't opened my mouth. I get that a lot. I get that a lot. Or sometimes I walk by and I'm like, hola, como esta? And then they start talking. Oh yeah, you speak it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
But your accent is so beautiful. They think you must speak it. And I get that a lot too. Mm -hmm. No, but you sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I practice those phrases Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, in Spain, I will comfort myself a little bit with their, their, they use a more formal Uh version. True. They use the vosotros, and you don't use that in Mexico, which is a tense. It's it's a special tense for posh people. Mm -hmm. So. Excitement is probably a real place. (laughs) (laughs) Or pornographic. It could be something pornographic. Oh, (laughs) yes, definitely. (laughs) I want to go to the place of orgasm. (laughs) No, ma'am. No, ma'am. That's not what you mean. Yes, they probably would be like, you can't oh, get okay. that from here. Just come right this way. <laughs> that's my house. We don't have those in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> but I did think it was hilarious how he would tell us in English what he was saying in German. The yes. Author. That was so funny. Yes. No, he had a very good sense was. of humor. Yeah, yeah he had hilarious. no idea how bad it was. The, it's so it was really funny. Awesome. Okay. Uh, okay, we're going to go back to the poet, Robert. Brownburn less recalls a day of losing his ring in the grocery store and how in telling Robert about it, Robert saw... Less's infidelities written across his face, and that's what it was like to live with a genius. Oh. Um, so a poet, you would think, would be very in tune with someone's emotions more so than themselves. How does Robert's success and genius impact their relationship at the time? I think it was really difficult for Arthur because he was always worrying about upsetting him, and he wanted to be his muse, and, well, is he trying to sleep? Do I need to eat? He was always worried about catering to him and making sure he didn't interfere with his genius and it was mm-hmm. it, doubt he said he doubt 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 he had a lot of doubt because he didn't know if he was doing things right or wrong or inhibiting him and I think he had that in common with Robert's wife Marion mm-hmm. he I think he understood how difficult it was to be a partner of Robert the genius because mm-hmm. it put the other person at such a in such a difficult place mm-hmm. reminds- and do you think that he uh, Marion wanted him she's the one that entered or had him go with her husband to go to be safe in the water she's a very interesting character that was not explored at all i'm wondering if she was trying to take care of the genius and she saw this handsome and mm-hmm. maybe suspected and knew that, that her he wanted to have a relationship yeah, that her husband that he was, was bisexual. she probably knew he was bisexual or and gay. she said yeah. why don't you go take care of my husband so, and that was yeah, the first time they got together she, well it's to very, go that's swim very in the water. symbolic scene too mm-hmm. she pushes him into the ocean mm-hmm. Go take care of my husband, right? Because I'm tired of it. Yeah, that's what I got. I think it's it would like, be I'm very done. difficult and trying to be, always yeah. be looking out for the genius. And I think for Arthur, um, he always felt guilty about it to the wife. But I think she might have kind of said, "Here, it's your turn." Someone yeah, else needs to take care of She doesn't seem to harbor she any ill not. towards him at all, yeah. and he basically stole her husband. But right. I think she wanted him to. Be and sick. Arthur did feel bad about it. He felt bad for her, but I, I don't think she cared. <laughs> I mean, I think she. She probably loved him, but she wanted somebody else, like you said, to take it for a while. It's well, and so the, and the age the age difference is pretty significant mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's tw- well, they say how old Robert is, and he's so Arthur's turning fifty, mm-hmm. and Robert was turning. Is he seventy five? Yeah, I think about twenty five years. Yeah, twenty five year age difference. So at the time that they met, they were probably twenty five and fifty. Yeah, something like that. The same. Well, and that's an interesting um, dynamic. Said it again. Interesting. This is a unique dynamic to <laughs> think about the prevalence of like the older relation, older male relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, it mm-hmm. happens with women and men too. It, more often, older men, younger women. But um, 
I do know some gay men, and it seems like they are always uh, start when they're in their 20s. And maybe this is the, fu- I think this is also a function historically because they don't, because a younger man might not understand what it means to be a gay man in the world. Mm-hmm. And they have no example that an older man will show them what right. it is to be gay because their fathers can't. And, right. You know, yeah. I was thinking can't. that same thing. Yes. So it's a mentor relationship mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. And there seems to be a lot of genuine affection there mm-hmm. between. I think Arthur feels guilty for cheating on him and all those mm-hmm. things. But then I think Robert also feels like he loves him, but he also probably feels guilty for like robbing him of his youth. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Making him hang out with an old genius all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's some taxing. undercurrents there of that um, type of relationship. So <laughs> back to the funny part, <laughs> which is there's much more fun than comedy but it is the the part when uh, he is in India with Carlos, who is happens to there's the weird thing that that's Freddie's father, but he's with Car- his friend Carlos, and Carlos is telling him about um, the life is fifty fifty comedy tragedy, mm-hmm. and that but he delineates it so like the first half of your, if the if the first half of your life is comedy, then the second half is going to be tragedy and vice versa, mm-hmm. which. Well, do y'all think about that? Oh, sad. I'd like to think there's a good balance of both mm-hmm. in both the beginning. Well, that's and how end. it was for Carlos. He thought the first it was all fun and games, and then the last part was not. But I don't think that's true for everybody. And yeah, some people have right. a mix, and some. Yeah, yeah it's an interesting mix. theory. Mm-hmm. I don't buy into it though. Yeah, everybody thinks everybody's just like them. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the athletic bands. (laughs) That was hilarious. I could just visualize So, I've done this before. Gone on a trip and taken my Nikes and my shorts and my workout shirt and my sports bra and everything because I'm going to go to the hotel gym and work out. And then, because I'm going to be so, but then... I maybe go once and then, or not at all, right? And so he travels. He's a very efficient, he describes packing. It's very efficient. Mm -hmm. But he brings these bands with him everywhere so that he can maintain his physique. I'm sure he is very vain and good looking, right? And then he, they pretty much stay in the bag. He gets him out. He does get him out a couple of times, but yes, he doesn't yeah. stay on his regiment. But and he, he he did swim though, didn't he? Swim laps. I think mm-hmm. he was. He did a little exercise so. here, there, and yonder. Yeah. Do you remember the one part when he? I can't remember who it was, but oh, it was when he was on the Moroccan trip. That said, let's just get fat. We're old. Let's just get fat, and we're just going to eat as much as we want to. We've just oh, he was appalled. Yeah, he's just like no, no. I, but I don't want to be fat. But oh, just let it all go. We just want to eat whatever we want to and just get fat. We, in our age, we've deserved. So no, he couldn't consider getting fat. He wanted to stay trim and fit. No, he's still, and handsome. He is very vain. Yes. yes, he's still yes, he's very vain, uh-huh. and he was just appalled at that idea. Uh-huh. He probably went and back. Was and just, just got those. Yeah, he probably did go back to the hotel room and get his athletic elastic bands. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Which is, it's all his attempt to stay young or at least be attractive. Yes. Is it perception or do you feel that that's just his identity? Like he assumes that 
he probably, even if, look, the way he's described in his physique, he probably could never get fat, even if he, you know, those people who are out there mm-hmm. who could never, mm-hmm. especially men. It's very important to him. They are it's never going to get fat anyway. Stay yeah. fit. So That's kind of who he is. Well, and he makes a point, too, of mentioning the blue suit. Let's talk about the blue suit. Yes, he loved his oh, blue suit. That. He loved yeah. his blue suit. <laughs> He's such he was a girl. looking good. It's in like his you get a blue dress suit. or something yeah. that you really like, and uh-huh. you're gonna wear it, um, and you feel good in it. Uh-huh. And he definitely, it's his. Did it's you his, see on the cover? They have yes, the blue suit. he's in the blue uh-huh. suit with the with the white shirt, uh-huh. and it's a special blue. Well, it's a role he plays. He's the eye candy. Wherever he goes, that's the role. So he uh-huh. has to keep up his. That's a job for him, kind uh-huh. of. I thought it was interesting if you had 14 hours in France. Now, so if you had 14 hours in France, what would you do? Would you go to a French tailor? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, and the same thing when he was in in Italy. So he got the later flight. He had maybe six hours. So he went to a dinner party where he didn't know anybody. Talk about an extrovert. If I had, I would just read my book and sit there and wait. In the airport. To leave the airport, to go to this party where he does not know a soul and just hang around. I mean, who does that? He's got to get back to the airport to catch the He's, yes. It's very brave. He just wants to be around people and meet new people and have tell good stories and listen to good <laughs> stories and maybe meet a lover and he's, yes. he's very meets, very open to life. Uh, Javier, right? Yes. And Javier already has a partner. Yes. So I wonder it, what Javier's doing there. Yeah, uh, why is Javier there by himself? Well sometimes right. people go to a party without their spouse. They could be like Yeah, but he was unhappy. I mean, yeah, he was he coupled, like he but was, he was He was looking. very drawn to Arthur yeah. because yeah. they were singular. Yes. And and he... But he wasn't willing to leave his partner. I mean, he was... I don't well, know no, when he really not for the guy was, who had to be back at the airport. He, when he's got hours. 45 minutes. <laughs> but his description of Javier, I was like, I would go on the balcony with Javier, uh-huh. too. It's kind of pretty cute. That's why we need a movie of this. We could, if yes, we could pick I the actors for all the different... All the yes. different parts. It would be very compelling. Um, how, okay, so the, one of the questions is, is grappling with age something that you can relate to? He seems to have problems with it, but then he also says that he understands the pleasures of age. He talks about the comfort and ease with himself and beauty and taste and old friends and old stories and mm-hmm. that he's totally... He, those are the good parts, and he recognizes mm-hmm. that. He sort of has a do. He can't figure it out. Yeah, he he's recognizes trying to come to terms with it, the good and the mm-hmm. bad. And I think that's everybody in a in a I middle think so aged too. situation. Yeah. He has a shot at aging well. He has that. Yeah. Yeah, because he can see that he's not he's just not grasping all the time. Ridiculous. Yeah. And that could perhaps I was thinking maybe that was be something that Robert had said to him. There are some kind of sentiment that Robert had imparted to him. Um, so what do y'all? Okay, so Paris to me is really interesting because if you have fourteen hours, what would you do? Fourteen <laughs> hour layover in Paris, and the you know the airport in Paris is like really far from town, and it sounds like a <laughs> town. Be so stressful. It, I mean, yes, yes. stressed. <laughs> Yes, I thought that too. So, but he does go to the party, and the one person that he does know one per- the person who invited him, I guess. But he never person, showed up. Yeah, the person who invited him didn't show up, but someone there know he's met. Oh, before. he did meet. Yes, he did meet. Someone and that, that he person before. tells him, though, you know, you're not a bad rider, you're a bad gay rider. And is that 
he's not telling the narrative that the gay writing community wants him to. Right. And that's the critique he's given. That he's not... He, because, and that's all based on the fact that in his book, his first book, the gay man eventually goes back to his wife. Uh-huh. And that 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 mm. the gay writing community didn't like that. They make He makes the gays look like they suffer and they're sad and that it's not a happy, fulfilling life. And, and I think even only, his later ones, he did that too. Yes. He was rewriting his last book because he had this sad guy walking around and... And he was a sad gay writer. <laughs> he made yes. it look like a sad life that was suffering rather than there could be well, joy. he gets mad when the person tells him that. Right. He, get, he definitely is offended. And, mm-hmm. But he also is sort of like, I don't want to talk to you anymore, and <laughs> goes away. So, But that sticks with him. Mm-hmm. And he does bring it up again when he goes to the writer's, writer's retreat thing. Am I remembering correctly the award that he won? It was because it was edited so well. Yeah, the, Itali- the Italian writer is the. He said that she's the one that wrote the beautiful Italian. Okay. <laughs> but the one that he won the award for it was the. Was that the one that he won the award for? The, the one that he wrote the, the dark award. matter that was translated to Italy. Italian. Yes, I'm sorry, it, Italian. And yes, and the high That's school the one student he won the really award liked for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. so um, oh. Oh. So, I mean, wait. he's just so hapless. He accidentally he's, wins an award. He's such a mess. He really is. But we are led like, to what? believe that maybe he won that award because of the translator. She made it so that beautiful she, with her Italian, the tran- in the Italian language. Yeah, yeah. Says, this award should be hers. Look how beautiful this is. It's so that could have been part of it. Yes, the, the even the high school students really recognize that. <laughs> Another theme, which I thought was hilarious, because this is sort of like his thing of being everywhere he goes, he's snake bit. Everybody get he everybody keeps getting sick around him. What do y'all make? I of thought that? that was. I think Very he clever. was just. It's kind of like uh, Lucy Ricardo with the Vada Vegemin. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> it's just so funny. Yes, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's it's like just everybody. Like whatever that can go wrong goes wrong, and they're dropping like flies around. Everybody who he's around ends up getting sick. Mm-hmm. The lover, Bastion, and and then <laughs> the students, and then he, and then it continues when he goes to Morocco. Mm-hmm. Yes. Whatever so, can go wrong does go wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think, and, and that would make one. Feel really bad about yourself, like right? A, if everybody, a jinx. Yeah. everybody yeah. you're around everybody starts getting sick. He, like he said, I think I'm a carrier yeah. <laughs> of a of no name. Of no, there's no name for his disease. Okay, the, and this is one of my favorite descriptions. So this is the New York Times question: Arthur Less is self-deprecating throughout the book to a fault. In one of many descriptions, he calls himself insignificant compared to other writers he knows. As superfluous as an extra A in Quaalude. <laughs> Earlier, though, he asks if there is any more perfect spelling than the word Quaalude with the lazy superfluous vowel. Do you find these negative descriptors by less funny or frustrating or silly or all of those? And does that complicate? Are those comp- are those descriptions complicated when they're echoed like that, like he says it about the word in the beginning, and which I thought was clever because I've always <laughs> wondered about the spelling of Quaalude myself. <laughs> <laughs> Why are there two A's? And then Quay. Then he he says that that's what he is. 
compared to the other writers. He's just the extra A. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Extra unnecessary A. And his name is Arthur. I thought, I mean, that is interesting, but does that... The fact that he's an author and his name is Arthur, and also yeah. that he thinks he's less and his last yes. name is less. Arthur Well, yeah, the, it took me for a, a while to realize, <clears throat> I mean, I kept thinking, what would the book be like if his name was more mm-hmm. instead of less? And mm-hmm. then I thought, oh, he's traveling the world author-less. So you said you caught on to that very quickly, but it took yeah, me a while. Yeah, all that is, is complicated, and I'm wondering. Well, I don't know. I mean, I like we've talked. I like characters, and I like that their names mean something, and mm-hmm. that doesn't bother me. But apparently, the New York Times thinks that we should so, be bothered by it. So he was somebody. He played a role with Robert. He was his companion, and now he's authorless. He doesn't know who he is, mm-hmm. and his he's, lover's broken up with him, and he's not yeah. by himself. Yeah. He's having a terrible identity crisis, the age thing. And, and then making your face sick that's around him and getting in the wrong cabs or thinking. That was the part I was like, oh, my gosh. He just Because that's everybody's fear, right? You get off at the airport and you get in the wrong cab. Yeah. Because like, they think that his name is spelled, but it's spelled, um, what does it say? It says E-S-S. And then also one was a senor. So he said, could it be the SR stands for something else? And then in so he was, he's, I think he's hilarious. He's, he's just, really funny. He's, yes. And then can you, but like, you know, you've had that feeling like you're in a cab going somewhere in a city you're not familiar with. And then all of a sudden, like the landscape changes and you're like, oh, of course a woman would think oh, I'm good. Somebody's going to take me out and right. nowhere to kill me. Yeah. But he Murdered. just thinks that they think he's German. Somebody else. <laughs> because he speaks such beautiful German. <laughs> <laughs> and. But he's in the wrong place, and then he gets nervous about it, but it ends up... And so he really has you, even as the reader, you're believing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's going to the, the wrong, wrong place. place in this Another one of his adventures This is going to be a failure. Of, <laughs> yeah. It's not at all. It's, he's exactly where he's supposed to be. That's, that is definitely a theme. Okay, so let's talk about Freddie. So it says a number of people try to tell, keep tell, trying to tell him about Freddie's wedding. <laughs> and this wedding is dominating his thoughts, but he won't listen to the people trying to tell him or they get interrupted just in time to tell him that it wasn't all what he's imagining. What is keeping him from hearing them? He just wants to block it out. When someone tries to say something, he's afraid they're going to tell him how wonderful it was and how in love they are, and he just doesn't want to hear it, and he can't think of anything else at that time. So he just blocks it out. But as the readers were saying, well, let's see what they're having to say. But he doesn't want to hear it. I thought it was really the sweet part of that, well, towards the end of the novel, is when the he described, it's another echo back. He has a description uh, early on about the it's him saying to Rob, you know, I guess he's crying and Robert says, I wish you weren't crying like that. Or someone says that there's mm-hmm. a scene there. Mm-hmm. And then that's echoed in exactly what happens after Freddie gets married. He is crying and his new husband is like, I wish you weren't crying. And they're in Tahiti trying to have a honeymoon. <laughs> like, I wish you weren't crying. But then, that's very sweet that his new husband is like, we have to figure out what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And if, and then they figure it out that he, obviously, Freddie is still in love with Arthur. Mm-hmm. And then Carlos appears in Arthur's world, which is in India. 
and takes him out to. That was so weird. I was like, why are they on a boat going to a deserted island? Why is Carlos taking him there? And then, yeah, this, that was all very um, symbolic, I guess. He took him out there, but then he didn't really say anything about the wedding. I think Carlos going. had mixed feelings. He really did not want Freddie to be with Arthur, I don't think. And I think at the end, he, Carlos, I mean, because Carlos wouldn't tell him. Carlos could have told him. Well, also, you could say Arthur didn't want to hear, but... I don't. I got the feeling that Carlos, is that's not the, Carlos didn't yeah. want them to be together. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, he realized, you know, that's who Freddie loves. Mm-hmm. But did you think that when Arthur was with Robert, he kept thinking that maybe Robert was too old and he wanted more freedom? And so when he was with Freddie, he was always afraid that Freddie. Would well, think the same way. The same way. Yeah. That he thought he was his, too uh, old. Projecting what, and he would exactly. want to find somebody yeah. else. And I don't I don't think Freddie cheated on him, but Arthur did cheat on Robert. So I guess. Well, yeah, but Freddie got married to someone mm-hmm. else, though. Did, but did he feel so like he was pushed away? Did Arthur I push think so. him away? I think so. Like, because he, he said, well, what do you, I'm, I'm going to be, this other guy wants to be monogamous. What do you think about that? He gave Arthur the chance to say, wait a minute, you know, I want to be with you. But Arthur didn't. No. He didn't. Arthur never st- stepped up and said, no, I want us to be together. Exclusively. Yeah. I think um, to be married. Freddie, yeah, was, married. Freddie was centered. He, was, he wasn't flighty like Arthur. And I think Freddie wanted a real relationship. Yeah, to be settled. And Arthur just wasn't ready at that point until he thought that he was going to miss out. And he really <laughs> missed him and wanted him back. So what parts, actually, I mean, I, there's so many. I love the Quaalude part. And I love <laughs> that he can't speak German. I mean, am I missing anything else that made y'all laugh out loud? Oh, there were just so many. Throughout the book, he was just so hapless and, and yeah, funny. right. And endearing. He was, he was, he was self-absorbed, but he me. was endearing. He okay, was a well, sweet so person. I have to, the funniest part to me, and this would totally, I could just see this happening to me, is when he, he goes, <laughs> the Japan He's there two days, and he eats the same meal. <laughs> and that little tiny door he had to go through. Oh, yeah. Had to close. So there's a couple of all yeah, those things about that, that about? meal are hilarious. So mm-hmm. he's eating the same seven-course meal, and every place it's pretty much the sea mm-hmm. bream. And the, but I like his, when he gets to the last place, he's like, oh, it's my friend, Mr. Butterbean. <laughs> I've seen, like, he's every really meal. Funny. Yeah. And then, but then getting trapped in the room. Mm-hmm. He's trapped behind the Japanese screen. Hundred year door, right? Four hundred. Four hundred year old door. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we can't. We're really sorry, but we can't open it. And you're going to have to break it through it. That's funny. It's hilarious. Okay. Uh, what can go? And on? then the Japanese lady at the hotel, who's trying to talk to him in Japanese. He's gone through all his horrible German stuff, and then the Japanese lady's trying to tell him things, and he finally is just standing there. He's so polite. Mm. that he just stands there and listens to her. And then he finally gets that she's trying to say, I used to be the hostess and the American came once and it was Charlie Chaplin. Oh, yes. And the grandmother, the older woman. Yeah, yeah. she's just gibbering. No, you know, they, and no. they, mm-hmm. But that's hilarious, too, because they give her, just so she feels like she's still working and still busy. She obviously has dementia. Mm-hmm. But they give her a fake phone. And <laughs> she's making all the reservations <laughs> yes. on the wall. That's, that's what y'all, go, y'all are going to do to me, right? You're oh, gonna... <laughs> we'll give you a marker and a board. Here, Cindy, here's busy. a volunteer. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I like the whole Japan part. I think by that time I'm like, okay, he finally, I thought maybe he was finally catching on that, you know, maybe it's not so bad to be 50. And and then he's laughing about Mr. Butterbean. <laughs> so the penultimate line of the book is in Freddie's voice. After choosing the path people wanted, the man who would do the easy way out of things, after holding it all in my hands and refusing it, what do I want from life? So it's all about path and where you're going. And, and do y'all have any thoughts about Freddie saying that? And I think we're supposed to think Freddie's been the whole narrator of right. the book all along, yes. right? Yes, I think that's what I got out of the end of it. I was a little confused about that because I was like, wait, who's talking? Huh. I didn't even think about that. I get so drawn to the atmosphere. I don't mm-hmm. think all those deep things. So he doesn't do the easy way out of things. In fact, he makes things so much harder on himself mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many times do we get in our own way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so after learning that he won the Pulitzer Prize, <laughs> I'm going to be super careful about that now. Champagne burp. Andrew Sean Greer wrote on Twitter that Less is a book that's most of all about joy. A writer friend once said the hardest thing to write about is joy. I took it as a challenge. Do you think he met the challenge? Huh. After so much misery and throughout the book. It's <laughs> but is it real misery or is it just sort of mis- it's just kind of mis- mistakes and mishaps and he's you know well he is heartbroken yeah but it has a happy ending at the end they're re- they're reunited yeah, and there's yeah. joy so it do has y'all a like the happy ending, ending then yes i like the happy i did ending. i was glad mm-hmm. they got together i yeah, like a too. happy resolution i think i, I don't too. want one but i think i did i was surprised because i mean mm-hmm. freddie was already married yeah Done it wasn't deal. definitely wasn't leading towards that at no point. it was surprising but I just thought, did you like the movie Legends of the Fall? Mm-hmm. It was so tragic. And it was tragic all the way through, the lost love. So sometimes we do like a tragic story with a tragic ending. Yes, I do. I know. Yeah. I have no problem with that. I was surprised by that I was like, oh, okay, well, that worked out good. Yeah. It almost was leading up to the fact that it wasn't going to be that way. And I was mm-hmm. okay with that, too, mm-hmm. that he was that Arthur was just going to go back to San Francisco. And, and he'd find someone else. Yeah. Just have just a different continue, life than he expected. Continue wearing the blue suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but doing the his blue thing. suit was torn up. And yes. he got a new blue suit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is another one of the funniest parts is when he breaks <laughs> his ankle. <laughs> you go on that trip. And you get up in the middle of the night and you break your ankle. And then all those ladies in India are like, why did you have a needle? (laughs) And he was like, well, you might have to sew a button on or something. They just did not understand that. And that whole part. But And no, you can't go back to the room you were in because there's all those stairs and you just broke your ankle. I mean, it, it was definitely not a great, that India part was definitely not a great part of the trip for him physically. It was sort of the final thing. Oh, poor and the, Arthur, the trip he didn't need to make. <laughs> he never needed See, to go to India. If he'd have just stayed home, he would have been with <laughs> Freddie that much sooner. The, and the part about India, so my son just got back from India. He was in India for three months. And um, that is hilarious because you would think if you're going to a writer's retreat in India, mm-hmm. it's going to be uh, like an ashram, Buddhist, mm-hmm. like very serene 
place, and it turns out it's a Christian <laughs> retreat. <laughs> and they're not very peaceful. And he he's like, but he's so nice. He won't tell them, I can't write here. Mm. It's so loud. He's very sweet. Yeah. He doesn't he, want to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> yeah, he's just too nice. Mm. I'd be like, no, this is not what I signed up for at all. Yeah. And he does say he even thinks about it. I'm just going to go check into a hotel and where it's quiet <laughs> and I can write. But instead, he stays at the free. Well, I mean, it is free. Oh. So. All right. Do y'all have any other thoughts that we haven't covered? I want to had a couple of quotes Some from. Quotes? Yeah. Um, I mean, they start one. One is on uh, page 252. He supposes he is meant to experience humility. By now, he is well acquainted with humility. It is the one piece of luggage he has not lost. And then it kind of continues over on page 259. Then the strap of the satchel catches on the handrail, and for a moment, and because there are always a few drops left in the bottle of indignity, it seems as if he is going to keep walking and the satchel will tear. (laughs) Les looks back and untangles the strap fate thwarted now the long ascent toward home placing his foot on the first step with relief now indignity is his life story right he does yeah but he thinks that his bag's gonna break and what is he what is he fearing what is he really fearing (laughs) whatever can go wrong will go wrong yeah. Just one last indignity to At suffer. Least he had that bag. exhausting. This yeah. whole trip was just exhausting. <laughs> <sighs> he had some interesting experiences, though. <laughs> no, but then there was also a mention of origami. Uh-oh. Yes, really? Me, yeah. Mm-hmm. I should have made, I didn't know what origami to do, but I thought, now I should have done the one with the little shirt. I could could have done it in blue. That would have been so good. Let's see where I said. Les stands and studies him, the lines on his face like origami that has been unfolded and smoothed down with your hand, the little freckles on the forehead, the white fuzz from his ears to his crown, the coppery eyes flashing with anything but rancor. Who the hell is this old man? (laughs) A face like origami that has been unfolded and smoothed down. Yeah, that I is love, an origami reference. I love that. I didn't think about it, but that's true. Well, that's sort of like what I feel like when you when you get older and you look down at your like you're looking yes. down at a mirror <laughs> as opposed to looking up at a mirror. Exactly. Or on the cell phone, it faced me. Oh my god. Angle's very important. Well, I have a friend who decided that she had to do something about her aging neck because she kept reading she was reading in her iPad. Uh-huh. And she caught the, you know, sometimes since it's the flash, you catch the reflection of yourself. And so she just caught, she's, I'm like, no, it's just the angle. It's just the way you're holding it. It's not that. No, oh, no, she went to go get like her neck Botoxed. (laughs) Yes, I was like. I think it's just that no one's no one's looking at you. Maybe an eight-year-old is looking up and at your neck like that. we don't care like what an eight-year-old thinks. Really no don't one's care. looking at your neck. You don't have to be so vain. Um, anyway. <laughs> random. Wonderful. Random thought. It is. It is yeah, I was like, what? Why is she? And I really, I had to, why is she worried about her neck? Well, she, and then my other friend's like whispering to me, she caught her. well and so all my these are all my friends and we're all 49 40 we're all about to turn 50 so we've all got that in our brains anyway 
We all don't have, or- we, ha- we think we have origami faces. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We're just so young. <laughs> so, the, so who would we cast in the movie? I have a couple of, I said Brad Pitt, maybe, because he's tall and blonde. He's 50, what did I say, 56? 50, something mm-hmm. like that. Well, he was born in like 62 or 63. He could pull off 49, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He looks so Mm -hmm. good. He could totally pull off 49. And I can think of some actors when they were that age who would, Mm -hmm. like, if they, when they were around 50, who would be great, like English actors. Um, What about George Clooney? No, he's not blonde, though. He needs to be blonde. Blonde and, and tall and lanky. Lanky, not muscular. Yeah. I guess I just watched those. Michael Caine. Oh, yeah. When, when he, he was, was like 40, uh-huh. 49. Yeah. He was yeah. very awkward. So the, That was his appeal, his awkwardness. Yeah, he was endearing and tall. The person I kept thinking of, so Marion was Robert, and like the old man poet. I don't really have anybody in mind for who would play him. But the wife was his descriptions of her were so exact. Mm-hmm. The way she wore her hair, her, the color of her glasses, the way she dressed, everything. Meryl Streep. Yeah, I was thinking like a like a Meryl Streep or or what's the other one? Glenn Close, somebody mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. That's like a very distinguished but like mm-hmm. sharp featured mm-hmm. actress. Mm-hmm. Any any other actor thoughts? I could definitely. It's going to be a movie. I think someday. Maybe a Netflix. Did anybody listen to the audio? Any audio? I was wondering how the um, author. We did I should not. Do. I did not. I did look it up, but it's a, yeah. No, I'd like to hear the voice that reads it. Yeah. I'll have to do that later. So do y'all think it deserves the Pulitzer Prize? I thought it was very clever. <coughs> I think it's clever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, well written. I was interested that the, the interest, oh my gosh, Trish, it, I said interested. The part in the, Pulitzer description where it says that the fiction novel is supposed to be a reflection of American life. Hmm. Um, that it's supposed to reflect the American experience. So as a, I mean, we're not gay men in America in the year 2019 or 2018, but when it was written, but I, I think it's probably pretty accurate and it didn't seem Like it was contrived. It mm-hmm. seems real, even though a lot of those situations were very contrived. Well, I guess I don't know much about the Pulitzer, but I would think, in my mind, something more profound, deeper. It, was, it seemed like light reading, but mm-hmm. it, I but it enjoyed so, it very much. It was so clever and so descriptive, and you could see the scenes and the characters mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. well. I thought it was very well written. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't what I expected. But it wasn't life-changing. I mean, yeah. I don't think you oh, read no. that book in your life. It's not To Kill a Mockingbird, it was which very, is probably right. the all-time Pulitzer right. winner. Was to oh, kill okay, yes. Yeah. See, that that's was definitely I... a reflection of American mm-hmm. life at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, definitely reflected American life, I think. I could yeah. think of several characters as I was reading it. That... I mean, and John Updike, his, his, his a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm not a John Updike lover or hater. I just sort of neutral on him. But a lot of people think he's the great American novelist. This doesn't seem like the great American novel. It seems like a little snippet of American life. Right. Hmm. But whatever, fifteen thousand dollars and. Yeah, I'm glad he's gotten it. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a nice kid, the author. One thing that I I've read about him about 
the author, Andrew Greer, he said that the novel was about love, joy. I mean, mm-hmm. he mentions all that, but then it, that it was about love and then that he had been told how can a gay, you know, a gay man write about love that anybody would want to read. And he basically said that I learned about love by reading heterosexual love mm-hmm. stories and it's no different. Mm-hmm. So that I'm once I read that, I thought, well, that's true. Love is love. Yeah. Right. And we root for Arthur in the end, even though we do. Yeah. You should want everybody. I'm like, I should really hope it works out for him, but if it doesn't, I really don't care either. <laughs> <laughs> I think I started, I don't know if I finished the Confessions of Max Tivoli, that's how you say it. I don't think I thought much of it, but sometimes I read books like that and then go back and read them yeah, again he, and try um, them. It was, it was a, it's, a, it's like a Benjamin Buttons, I think, novel. Like he, It's a man who starts out being old and gets younger. Oh, I, think that's okay. the basis, I think that's the basis of the movie. Oh, but well, maybe I could be wrong. Maybe I could be wrong. No, I don't think so. I mean, that author is just my age. He's, I don't know that he wrote, but it's the same premise. Mm. Aging backwards, mm. which is also interesting. Mm-hmm. The, the Interesting. I mean, it took me to read three, three tries to read Texas, James Mishner's Texas, before I realized, what is he doing here? <laughs> and I'm a Mishner fan. So mm-hmm. when I finally figured out what he was doing, I loved it. I did a couple of times. Okay, we're a little bit over, but you can cut a lot of this out, Michael, because, I mean, we have that whole part in the middle where we talked and Hi, drank Michael. for, like, five minutes. So, um, but if there's anything else, we definitely, we probably have about, like, three minutes left if there's anything else y'all want to say. We talked about my opinion of the book changed. That's one of our mm-hmm. standard questions. My mm. opinion of the book at the beginning, I didn't care about. I was just like, why is this guy whinging on and on about being old? He's not old. I'm not old. I'm not old. I liked it more as I read it. Mm -hmm. Too many things. Okay, Okay, so our discussion of less a novel is over, and we liked it. I think everybody who's here liked it. We are missing a couple of members because of scheduling concerns with them. (laughs) So next month is the novel is Milkman by Anna Burns. And that was the winner of the 2018 Man Booker Prize. Um, Brief description, it looks like it's set in 1970s Belfast. And that is, and it's a middle sister. And and the only thing I read online is no one has a name. That they just go by their descriptors. She's middle sister. Uh I read it was a lot like reading Proust, which scares me a bit because. It's weird, but it's interesting. Oh, you read it already? Uh Becky, overachiever. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be here. Oh, that's right. So I wanted to, to read it. Um, it's really, it's, it's part of it's irritating, too. Thank oh, you. really? <laughs> well, I will probably really like it. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could be here to uh, I co- remember it. When I come back, I want to discuss it with you. All right. We can do a... a well, and when, when Iris comes back, I know she read this, and so we'll get, we'll, at the beginning, when she's back next month, we'll get her opinion of less... So that is it. Um, Again, if anybody is a listener and you're signed up for services with us and you would like an audio version of this novel or any of the novels that we are reading, you will just call us at 432-682-2731. 
or shoot an email over to stephanie at recordinglibrary.org and she will get you an audio version of any of these books. And we'll see y'all in June after Labor Day, after I'm 49. Aw, happy birthday. <laughs> Yay, 49, <laughs> not 50. Hang on to it. Hang on to those 40s. 